And this is the time of the service where we spend learning together and I teach from God's Word, the Bible. So before we do that, I'm going to start by seeing if you can help me fill in the blank. The screen is going to uh, come on for you with some sayings you might be familiar with. So let's start with the first one. See if you can finish this for me. I swear on my mother's... Okay, you know that one. How about the next one? Cross my heart and hope to... Super good at this, guys. I swear on a stack of... I swear on my own... I was going for life. But I was also just, and everyone kind of fell apart a bit there. I knew it up until that one. These, these sayings, I think, indicate the fact that you all have heard them. Many of you knew what they were, how they went. Show that this next, the passage of scripture we're going to look at is something that you will be familiar with. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6. And this is on page 7. 86, if you want to follow along in the Bibles that are in the seats. And these are words from Jesus that Jesus spoke. And this is what they say. And I'm starting at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, Do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Would that, yeah, don't we wish that's different sometimes. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So those words that you just heard were spoken by Jesus around 2,000 years ago. He, at this point, had been teaching for a little while. People were starting to hear about him. And one day, outside the city of Galilee, he went to a, a mountain, and people gathered around him, and he spent time teaching and giving what is now a very famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And we can read that sermon in a part of the Bible called the book of Matthew, which was written down by one of Jesus' followers named Matthew, telling the story of Jesus, chapters 5 to 7. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. In particular, we've been studying one section in the Sermon on the Mount, a section that each of the sections, there's six of them that are started with some version of the line, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. We've looked at these together for a few weeks, and we're looking at another one today. What's important to remember, as I've reminded us each week, and once again, I forgot, there is a handout in your bulletin. I have not reminded you of that every week, but if you want to uh, follow along and take some notes, there is a handout that you received today. But the thing I do remember to actually remind us each week (laughs) is what, how Jesus actually starts this section, these sections of the six you've heard that it was said, begins by him saying this, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that would have been a pretty shocking statement. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the religious people of the day. 
The Pharisees were very eager. They were like, um, like in Christianity, we have a lot of denominations within Christianity. Within Judaism, there were different groups as well. And so they were Jews that were a set-apart elite group that had decided, uh, had felt called very much so to help people understand how to keep God's laws, which God had given them many, many hundreds of years before. And they wanted to make sure people kept these laws well. And so they had come up with lots of laws along with the laws to make sure that you would always be as holy as you could be to be pleasing to God. And often how that looked was that they would give certain lines and they'd say, well, here's a line. If you get to that line, you're okay. Cross that line is no longer upholding the law. Now, the problem with what was happening with the Pharisees is that often the case was that they would honor, we probably heard this expression, it got to the point that it was more about the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. In other words, sometimes they were missing the forest for the trees, to use one of our expressions. They were missing the big point. And we've looked at some of those examples. So, for example, they had said, you know, as long as a man, you, as you, and this is last week, as long as you gave your wife a certificate of divorce when you divorced her, you were doing just fine. And sort of forgetting, but, you know, don't go getting divorced every five minutes either. They were like, well, we gave a certificate, we're good. Or another passage which said, you know, you, you're saying not to murder, but you're not really talking about how you treat others well. So Jesus is pushing back, and he's saying, your righteousness has to look like more than that. That's what my kingdom looks like, because when Jesus came, he wanted to show what his kingdom on earth would be as we continue to live into it and as we wait for it to come fully when Jesus returns. And so he says, let me tell you what my kingdom's like. You're going to look more righteous than those people. And here we have the next section when he gives another example of not just trying to get to this line, but also trying to truly live, letting God help us live in the fullness of God's ways. And to read it, the beginning part again, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or for the, by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great God. You've heard that it was said, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, interestingly enough, this isn't a direct quote from other parts of the Bible, as other sections of the Sermon on the Mount have been. He's actually quoting the modern teaching, which had evolved based on a number of teachings of Scripture. So, for example, in the Bible in Leviticus, which is another part of the Bible written long before Jesus came, and these were God's laws to God's people, the Jews, God had said, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. In another passage in Numbers 30 and 2, it reads, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Or, from what we now know as the Ten Commandments, which some of you may be familiar with, from the book of Deuteronomy 5.11, he says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. 
Now, we often talk about that verse to mean that we shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain, as in swear using God's name or Jesus' name. And I think that's important as well. But also, the, the sense of this here is that you're not using God to say, I swear to God I will, and then not honoring it. That's, that's to swear by God's name. And he says you won't be held guiltless in that case. So these laws, which were given to God's people as God was first forming God's community, the nation of Israel, were to prevent the taking of a false oath, especially perjury in courts. This was, and this was really, really important. Because remember, this is in a time long, long before video cameras, surveillance footage, DNA. In fact, uh, the only means you had in court were witnesses to prove a point. And many, many of their crimes and laws required witnesses to prove what was being said. So what would happen if the witnesses were lying all the time? Everything would fall apart. This is God wanting to protect God's community. So he says, when you swear to God, when you say, yes, I saw this person commit this crime, I saw them steal this, you will not lie. You will not break that oath. That was very important, as you can imagine. In fact, oaths for a number of centuries were used as a means of entering agreements with people. They would be used to settle matters outside of court. It was almost like having a document or authorized. In some ways, an oath was like going to a notary public today. When you would go and say, yep, this is a valid document, someone taking an oath would be, I, I swear this is exactly what needs, this is how this pledge happened. I promise I will sell one goat for 10 shekels. I swear. That's like your receipt, right? But while all of this makes sense, why God wanted to keep people and say, don't lie, don't commit perjury. This protects your community and makes it a place that will be able to be truthful. It would seem that oath-taking had gotten a little out of hand by the time Jesus came. When Jesus came, as we said, people were still wanting to follow these laws. The Pharisees were very eager to follow them very, very well. But This had evolved into something. Now they wanted to say, well, how are we going to honor these laws, those verses that I read? And they had come up with something along the lines of, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made, which Jesus says, you know, you've heard that this was said. But it would seem that what had happened was, now the community was basically saying, listen, as long as you don't commit perjury, as long as you don't break your laws when you swear, your vows when you swear to God, then you, then that's, that's what's really important. And so they had finangled their ways around all other kinds of oaths and promises. Because it would seem that oath taking was now happening not just in courts, but for much less serious matters, much like we do today. Like, no, I swear I saw that. Or, you know, honestly, people were doing this more often. So then the question came up, well, what happens if someone says, oh, yeah, yeah, I swear I'll be there this afternoon, and they don't come? Now they've broken their oath. So now the Pharisees had to say, and the teachers of the law, hmm, how are we going to say people have, com- have broken this law? The, the, the serious law that God set, and when are we going to draw the lines? So you can look at a lot of the writings where they break this down. So for example, if you swore by their temple, that was not binding. But if you swore by the gold of the temple, that was binding. 
If you swore by the altar, not binding. But if you swore by the gift to the altar, that was binding. So all these laws. Here's when, yep, they're accountable for keeping that. Now they're less accountable for keeping that. Basically, they figured out ways to say, I was crossing my fingers. I didn't, I didn't really mean it. And to this, Jesus says, I tell you what, just don't swear at all. Just stop it. Don't swear, as he reads, by heaven. Don't swear by, by earth. Don't swear by Jerusalem, by the city. See, and then he says, don't, don't swear by your own head, which was a thing people would do, right? Like, may a curse come up on my head. You can actually read Peter doing that. Some of you may know a story from the Bible where one of Jesus' followers, when they're asked, you know, do you know Jesus? He says, no, you know, may, I swear, right? And it was like to say, may a curse fall on my head if I'm lying. And then Jesus points out quite logically, what do you think you can do to your own head? You can't even make your hair white or black if you want. I'm the one who does that. So he says, don't take oaths at all. Say yes or say no. And let that be enough. Don't say, listen, I swear by my mother's grave or I'll swear on a stack of Bibles or I'm, I'm, you know, I, I swear by my life. Now, I'm not saying that when you say that stuff that now you suddenly have to feel really, really guilty and this means you're not going to heaven and all these things. Not at all. What we're saying here is that this is speaking to a truth of what Jesus' kingdom would look like and what God's people would look like. And he says, oaths don't need to be a part of that. Not these kind of oaths. And I think there are two reasons for this. And you'll see these on your screen. The first is that we should be people that we should live our lives with such honesty that we don't need oaths to prove our integrity. That if you say yes or no, people will know that's enough because of the life you have lived. You don't have to convince them. We aren't called to simply make the oaths that we make before God. As the teachers of the law were saying, we are people that are so honest and live with such integrity that we don't need oaths to make people believe us. I think that's important. And I think it applies to being honest, that we don't lie or even exaggerate to the point of lying. Sometimes it means we are careful even about what we share online, being aware of making sure that is true. And we don't have to say, it's not that we can't say I swear it, it's that we shouldn't have to, that our character should be known beyond that. Now, I've been here 13 years, so you get some stories twice, and I've shared this one before, but I simply couldn't think of a better one to share to illustrate what I think this means. My grandfather, who has now been dead many years, was a wonderful Christian man, a man of incredible integrity, and he had some hard things happen in his life. And when he was, I guess, in about his 50s, my mom was a young adult, he was driving down the road one day, and he hit a 12-year-old girl, and she died which was obviously very traumatic. And that was long before I was born. But what I've always remembered about that story was whenever it came up, which wasn't very often, because obviously it was a very painful thing, is what happened after. And it was a small place that my grandfather was from. He was known in the community. He was a churchgoer. He was a very devout Christian. Is that when the police officers went and told this girl's father that she was killed, and he said, who had hit her with the car, the man's response was, well, I know that if it was Searle, 
He wasn't drunk, and it was an accident. That's the life I want to live. He didn't need to go, my grandfather didn't need to say, I swear I didn't mean to do it, right? I swear I wasn't drinking. I swear I hadn't done anything wrong. If it was him, it was an accident. Never went to court. Never pressed charges. That's the life I want to live. You can see why I couldn't think of a better story. I think it means that we are people of our commitment and our word. And you know, we know how true this is, right? Like you all know people in your life that if they say they're going to do something for you, they might or they might not. And you know the people that if they say they're going to do something, they are going to do it. Am I right? If they say they're going to respond, if they're going to help you, if they're going to support you, they will do it. I think that's what God's talking about. Those are the people that you don't have to say, will you swear it? But the people who, you know, often are more unreliable, those are the people that you go, are you sure? And they go, I swear, across my heart, like I promise. Because their lives haven't been such that you can trust that, right? And I think that's why Jesus is saying this here. It's so important. Jesus says here that 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 kind of righteousness, yes, I swear, across my heart, hope to die, that's the righteousness of the Pharisees. And he says, you know what? That's not what we're going for in this kingdom. We got something better in mind. I think that's the first reason Jesus says not to make vows. I also think there's a second reason that I've taught about before, and I think it is so important. And I think it's because Jesus also recognizes that our oaths and our vows can trap us. We can become trapped by the vows that we make. Now, I'm talking about something a bit different here. And let me, let me tell you a story. This is not a true story, although I've heard many similar versions of this story. And I'm going to tell you a story about two sisters named Karen and Susan. Just a few years apart, very close, loving sisters. Susan was older, and she got married young, bought a house, had her kids young, settled in in their town not too far from where their parents lived. And shortly after she uh, had gotten married, she began a tradition of hosting Christmas Eve at her house every year. Lots of you have those traditions, right? The aunts and the uncles and her sister Karen and her parents would come for Christmas Eve. Well, Karen didn't get married until she was older, didn't have her kids until she was older, didn't settle down later. And so by the time she bought a house, this tradition had been going on for some time. So one year after she had married and she finally bought her own house, she sent an email to the family saying, this year I would like to host Christmas Eve in my new house. Susan did not like this email. And so Susan called up Karen. She was hurt. She said, you know, I've always hosted Christmas Eve. I really love hosting Christmas Eve, and I don't think you should have just sent an email out without talking to me about it first. Fair enough. But like things often happen, the argument devolved. And it got more heated and more heated, and it turned into, well, you know, you never settled down till later. You never had your life together. And it got heated, more and more heated, and, you know, how can you do this? And I'm the one who should do this. And why? Why do you always think you're better than me? Why do you always get to do this stuff? Until finally, Susan, in total frustration, said, Karen, mark my words. If you host that party on Christmas Eve, I swear I'm never coming to your house again. So she didn't. Christmas Eve came. She didn't go. Her kids went. She said, you can go, but I am a person of my word. And she didn't go the next Christmas. And she didn't go the next Christmas or the next one. And she didn't go to her niece's bridal shower or her nephew's baby shower. And then her mother died. And the reception was going to be at Karen's house. And as they were leaving the cemetery, you know, Susan's daughter came up and said, Mom, just come. 
to Aunt Karen's. It doesn't matter. And Susan said, no, honey, honey, you know, you know I don't go to Aunt Karen's. And then she went home. Like I said, I made that story up, but I didn't have to work very hard. (laughs) Do many of you know stories like that? Some of you have lived those exact stories. You've been Karen, or you've been Susan, and you have seen them. We make vows and we swear things all the time. And it's interesting because what we're actually doing in those moments, what Susan was doing was she was trying to manipulate a situation, right? She was saying, this is the thing I'm going to say so that you don't do the thing I want you to do. It's actually quite manipulative. And it happens in all kinds of ways. If this church hires that pastor, I'm never coming here again. Everyone vote the way I want. And then they don't. Or we do other things, right? There's so many ways that we try to control our lives by our vows. I swear I will never live in a small town. Because, God, I don't want to live in a small town, (laughs) for example. Or, I promise, I vow I will never date anyone shorter than me. People say that. That I won't marry anyone who rides a motorcycle. All kinds of ways we do this, some that are sillier than others. And when we make these oaths, what what we're doing without even sometimes realizing is we're saying, God, here's the lines I've drawn, and you're not allowed to cross them. Because what if God wants us to live in a small town or stay in the same church Or even if the perfect person for us happens to ride a motorcycle or not fit some list we've told God we have just made just right. And in that way, we become trapped by our vows. And some of you have been trapped by a vow that you have made. And you have mistook keeping that vow is integrity when you never should have made the vow in the first place. And God is not calling you to keep it. There's a fabulous, well, it's actually not fabulous. It's fabulous for making this point, but it's a horrible story in the Bible, of a man named Jephthah. And some of you might know this story. It was always my least favorite story growing up in church. Um, and so what it says, it's, it's in an era where Israel, this is many, many hundreds of years before Jesus, doesn't have kings. And there's a battle, there's a general, and his name is Jephthah. And before he goes into this battle, he says, God, if you let me win this battle, I vow to sacrifice Whatever comes out my door as soon as I get home. Whatever the first thing that is that comes out my door. Some of you know the story. And when he gets, he wins the battle. And when he gets home, the first thing that comes out his door is his 12-year-old daughter. And uh, obviously he'd expected like a cow or, (laughs) or a sheep or something, right? And he says, oh no. Now I've got to sacrifice my daughter. And he does. Which is interesting because I could read you passage after passage in scripture where God says, I hate child sacrifice. Do not ever sacrifice your children to me. This is what other nations do. I do not ever want you to sacrifice people on my altar. Jephthah got something. I used to read this and go, oh, I can't believe God would have wanted Jephthah to sacrifice his daughter. That's so sad. Now I go, God didn't want Jephthah to sacrifice his daughter. Jephthah got so mixed up in his own arrogance and sense of integrity that he stopped to hear what God really taught. And sometimes we do that too. And we think we're, again, doing the right thing because we should keep our vows when you're actually harming yourself by keeping the vow. And that is the righteousness of the Pharisees. 
The righteousness of the Pharisees says, 20 years ago in a church business meeting, I said I wouldn't come in that church if they voted a certain way, and I never did. That's the righteousness of the Pharisees. That's when Jesus says, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Or in that case, just say, I really don't want to vote that way, and it makes me super sad. (laughs) I love this quote that I read this week. Every oath reduces God's power to an object of human manipulation. Every oath reduces God's power to an object of human manipulation. And you know what? We may have been victims of those vows, but sometimes we do them too, and we use vows to trap others. We, you know, right? Promise me you'll never put me in a home. Vow to me right now. Vow to me you will never sell the family cottage. What about... If some circumstance comes up that that's really the only right option and you think, but I'm going to somehow control my future by making someone swear it. And it's because we don't trust God's future. And we can. Now, this doesn't mean that there isn't a time for oaths. There are some Christian traditions that teach, based on this passage, that there are Christians that won't, like when they go to court, they won't take oaths. Like, you know, when you say, I swear to tell the whole truth. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. And it doesn't mean that there aren't time for meaningful vows. Of course, we make wedding vows. Sometimes people take vows if they become part of religious communities and things like that. That can be a beautiful part of a covenant with God. But what Jesus is saying is that in his kingdom, we are simply called to be people of yes and no. And I think that's a beautiful gift. And that means we are people who are honest, which is great. Because in a world where people just say yes and no, we can trust each other. That's a kingdom I want to live in. And it means that we can be people who don't need to use vows to manipulate things, to go the way we want them, to manipulate people or situations. And it means that we don't need to stay trapped in vows that God never wanted us to make and is not saying we need to keep Let's be people of yes and no. Let me pray for us. God, there's uh, lots that we've talked about. And I suspect that we're all feeling different things maybe standing out to us right now. But what I especially want to pray for is if there is someone that is feeling the weight of that promise they wish they could take back the weight of the person they swore they'd never talk to again, or the oath that they said, you know, I'll I'll never do that or never do this or I will do that or this, that has caused brokenness in their relationships. Lord, we pray you would, by your spirit, set us free from that and bring healing and hope and help us to be people of yes and no. And that, that will be enough. And thank you for helping us to do that. Amen.